And welcome to Panic Mode, the podcast for gamers and game designers with your hosts who may or may not be using podcasting to stave off those quarantine blues, Aiden and Shelby. May or may not be. We are. Okay. <laughs> just wanted to be very transparent on our re- the reasoning for yeah. our podcasting. No, that, that makes sense. So this is part one of two, actually, in a series we're doing on mental health. And the next episode is going to be the second part where we'll be talking mental health in game development specifically. But this episode is actually going to be covering the effect of video games on players' mental health, as well as the depiction of mental health in games. Um, so we're, we're excited to dive into it and hopefully spread some some joy maybe i don't know (laughs) so a question i want to pose to you and our listenership is do you feel that playing games benefits your mental health yes why do you think that is i don't know i mean i I play them a lot and i continue to do so so it's got to be doing something well i only ask because uh, there was a survey out of the uk which found that 97 percent of gamers do believe that playing games helps their mental health and we're going to try to assess that question today, but I guess it really shouldn't be surprising that a lot of us believe that it, it's good for us. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, the breakdown of that survey is 80% of the respondents were aged between 18 and 34, and the gender breakdown that on that were 58% identified as male, 38% female, 2% nonconforming, and 1% transgender. Um, so everybody clearly is is playing games, and it's benefiting them in some way, which I think is is awesome. Um, I just want to quickly recognize that today we're not going to be talking about the toxic part of games that certainly uh, benefits no one's mental health. That's like having open chats in games where players can like openly harass each other, whether it's on voice chat or in text. Um, We do have an episode on that, so check it out if you're interested. But today it'll just mostly be regarding um, mental health and positive experiences. And this all feels very topical, especially given what's been going on globally with the COVID-19 pandemic, that a majority of the people also surveyed also felt that playing games online with others and with friends helped to alleviate feelings of isolation, which is something you and I have definitely leaned on during the pandemic quarantines here in Canada. Yeah, I know that this study actually kind of popped up because people are really interested in video games right now specifically because of their ability to connect communities and make people feel like they're not alone and to give these um, these experiences, these long form narrative experiences too, that can really act as like escapist um, literature in a way, right? Like we hear escapist literature a lot. These are escapist games that kind of let you go somewhere else um, and just give you a break from from what's going on in the world sometimes, which is something I think that we all need and we, we all need to take care of ourselves and video games are, are proving, you know, 90%, uh, 97% of people saying that they help. Obviously, they're, do- they're doing something right. So what do you think those 3% of gamers are on about where they're like, this is terrible for my mental health? I think they probably just had bad experiences. There's a lot of ways to have a bad experience with the video game. So I don't blame anybody who's had that um, and who just doesn't really want to touch them anymore. That's fair. So games journalist Johnny Chiodini, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, actually explores this topic in his web series, Low Batteries, where he coins the term sad game, which is one word and is not necessarily a game that is sad, but rather is a game that you play to combat stress, anxiety or depression. Okay, interesting. Um, So I think a sad game could really be anything then, right? Because it seems like it's dependent on the person, the person who plays the game to combat stress, depression or anxiety. Right. 
like for me, like I actually like to play Dark Souls as a sad game. Mm-hmm. And that's typically a game a lot of people view as stressful. But for me, it's just a game I'm very familiar with and enjoy a lot. And is probably not what most people would picture for a sad game, but is what is a sad game for me. But one that isn't a sad game for me is Overwatch, which despite being very optimistic and happy in its tones, the competitive aspects just makes me feel very stressed. and <laughs> The opposite of what a sad exactly, game should be yeah. doing, I see. I know that Chiodini also says that uh, the reason for, for these sad games to be categorized that way is because they help to stop your internal monologue from having such a prominent place in your brain. Um, so that makes sense to me. It's, it's distracting you from things like anxiety and, and stress, right? It, it's helping focus your mind on something else that is ideally um, very pleasing to you instead, um, which is great, right? It can be a really powerful tool to be able to distract yourself from something. I know that um, certain things like if you're having like a panic attack, for example, there are five steps you can take by by recognizing things in the room, um, smells, the like the five senses. Um, and that can be a really helpful way to distract your brain um, and maybe help you refocus a little bit. So anything that has to do with um, that distraction aspect to to refocus your feelings around something else and then come back later can be really, really helpful for for having those sort of like uh, like healing impacts or, or moments of grounding yourself in reality that can be awesome for, for feeling, um, feeling better. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of preoccupying your conscious mind to force yourself to think about something other than negative thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think with negative thoughts, it's easy to get drowned by them. Right. So if we can, we can leave them, um, somewhere else for a moment and come back later, we might have a new perspective. Um, we may not be, um, as deep down that hole if we come back a little later and that can really help as well to, to sort of refocus things, um, and not feel quite as sad about that same thing. Um, and if it comes back, you can always just, you know, play a game for, for play another game, you know, another day. And Chiodini actually makes the point that this actually can mean that we can infer how we are feeling on a subconscious level by seeing what kind of game we feel like playing. That if you see yourself feeling the need to play a sad game a lot, are you like, wait, am I, am I going through something right now? And it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes it's not always apparent that you're suffering in some way. And having a sad game help you identify that can be something can be very useful. That's true. Yeah, it's really good to identify the ways that you cope because not all of them can be healthy, right? Like sometimes um, we can turn to like destructive habits. Um, sometimes I know if, if like we're sad a lot of the time, some people can just like sleep for a really, really long time, not really want to get out of bed or, or go outside, anything like that. Sometimes those coping mechanisms cannot be great. We forget to eat or drink water, which are, you know, super necessary. Um, but games can be a great way to, to sort of have a, a healthier response to those things that are more helpful for you than maybe not eating and, and forgetting to drink water and, and, and stuff like that, which I know I've done. <laughs> so um, I know I always forget to drink water, but Aiden always brings it to me anyway. So that's nice. That's true. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about the ways that this idea of playing games as a coping mechanism can be a little bit dangerous at times. Um, because like anything, too much of a good thing is probably not a good thing anymore. Exactly. And Chiudini does acknowledge that increased reliance on games as a coping mechanism could start to border on problem avoidance rather than just a pure coping mechanism. And in more extreme cases, this can manifest itself as something like video game addiction, which is, a, is real and is a fairly newly documented illness, which is defined by where an individual prioritizes games 
over other life activities for more than 12 months with negative consequences, which one of the weirder examples I heard about this was a person who took amphetamines to stay awake to play video games. That they oh my just goodness. wanted to stay awake. They never wanted to sleep. They, yeah. they, that's how much they wanted to play. Whew. This only affects about 0.3% of gamers, which mm-hmm. is why we don't have an epidemic on the rise, given that there is 2.5 billion gamers and we don't have 2.5 billion gaming addicts. Yeah, that's still a lot, though. That's, um... That's, oh, that's it's millions million. of people. Yeah, that's millions. Millions of people are still, you know, affected by this, right? So it is something to be aware of. And, yeah, like anything, just just monitor your time, check in with yourself, um, see how much your dependence on video games is, if it, like, shifts between being, this is something I do to feel better versus, like, this is something I do to, like, not do anything else instead. <laughs> Once again, we're, we're back to not eating and not drinking water because you're playing video games. <laughs> or not sleeping. Which, yeah, or not sleeping, which I have also done <laughs> by accident. <laughs> So a couple of mini takeaways before we move on to the second half of this episode is games help a lot of people cope and in rare circumstances it can be detrimental and a lot of the discourse around how it's being handled now tends to be politically charged but given that we have so many gamers and not a huge amount of negative consequences have come from it yet I think it's safe to assume that some of this discourse is a little hyperbolic. Yeah, and that's not to say that video game addiction isn't like a real thing like we just said like it does affect like millions. It is very real. It is serious. It's something to take seriously like any addiction is. Um, But we also need to see the other side that, you know, video games can be wonderful uh, healing experiences and to simply dismiss them as only the the places of inciting violence um, or that video games are purely detrimental to mental health and things like motor functions, um, your ability to like learn, like there's all these, these um, weird accusations that video games can come under um, more on the negative side. And that's, that's not true. There's like anything, there's both, right? They can be both wonderful um, and in certain circumstances detrimental. So it's good to understand both sides. It's good to be aware of both sides. Um, um, and to not get too hyperbolic um, in any one direction when when talking about this art form. Exactly. And before we go on to the depiction of mental health in games, I have to ask, what is your sad game these days? Um, I've been really enjoying uh, Breath of the Wild, actually. That's I've been one. playing the crap out of Breath of the Wild. Um, it's been really fun. I'm at the point now where I've um, gotten the the four divine beasts. Like I've I've finished each of their um, routes, I guess you could say. And I can go defeat Ganon if I want to. I mean, I always could, but like now I'm like extra prepa- prepared, but I don't want to because that'll end the game. And I know that after you defeat Ganon, you can like continue to explore the world. Um, but I feel like if I do that, that's like, oh, I like, I did the big thing and now there's nothing to, now there's no reason uh, to do anything. Everything else is small. Yeah, now everything else is small. So I want to do all the small things first you, you and wanna, then I'll finish. I'll wanna, like quote unquote finish it. <laughs> you want to hang on to your sad game a little longer? I do. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like I'm in like the, the climax state of the game now, right? I'm all like primed, ready to go get him. And I'm just going to hang out in this climax state for like... 80 more hours. <laughs> That's very specific. Yeah. All right, we'll see you in about half a week. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, so moving on to part two. 
So Extra Credits did an episode on mental health in games and how sometimes its depiction can be problematic, especially when you see things like characters with mental illnesses being portrayed as villains, characters like the Joker in the Batman Arkham series, for instance, or things like asylums being depicted as scary places where the patients are tortured, which has some basis in historical reality, but is typically not the present case. Yeah, I think, um, you know, video games have huge issues with representation of really everyone. So it's, you know, it's no surprise that mental health also gets um, gets a, a bad rap here. And, you know, that's just one of those things that you, you have to, to do your due diligence, right? When designing games with mental health, um, do your research. Uh, I know that can be kind of a daunting task. There's a lot of different angles to to come at these scenarios with. Um, but that's that's part of being a designer, I think, is is going that extra mile to fully understand the material that you're representing um, and do it do it well, do it justice. So mental illness, for example, it can't also be like the only defining element of a character. Um, that's often, you know, people are complex individuals. We are not defined by like how sad we are, for, just as an example, right? Um, that seems kind of silly to to put a mental illness on somebody and say that's all that you are, right? Um, it's also important to not only depict a single condition with one symptom. Um, that can sort of reduce mental illness to this very like simple idea or a simple way of understanding it. And it can be very complex, right? There's usually a lot going on with a person, um, including much more than just a mental illness. So it's, it's great to have some perspective on that. And I think it could help people to understand the different facets of mental illness, but also how it, how it affects people. The, the example they go to is schizophrenia, mm -hmm. which uh, in the media is typically depicted as either hallucinations or a distorted version of reality are mm -hmm. the main symptoms that are shown. And that's not the only symptoms yeah. of schizophrenia. And sometimes people don't have those symptoms at all. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of representations that can have problematic ramifications on the real world where you say this person is schizophrenic and you just have these assumptions that came from media. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good example. Um, you know, the the treatment of mental health, it doesn't have to be some spectacular thing either, right? It doesn't have to be this huge um ordeal basically right like um oftentimes with with depression for example um there's treatment for it that is can be extremely effective for some people whether that's um like a, a certain dosage of pills that you're prescribed um it can be a very uh livable thing to have right um sometimes it's not and those are important stories to tell as well but so are the ones on the other side where people are just continuing to live their lives and this is something that they're they're dealing with. And it's important to show those facets too. Exactly. And one more thing to note before we move on is that if you're going to have uh, content in a game that could be disturbing or traumatizing to the player, especially if you're trying to put them in the shoes of someone who has a mental disorder, it's really advisable to put a content warning before the game. And um, I'm someone who has suffered from depression for a long time and has and have used video games as a coping mechanism. I think I've really I've really enjoyed the games which let me lose myself in the world. So I, games like Skyrim, for instance, was a, yeah. was a real <laughs> boom to me when that came out in 2011. And I'm not saying it ever solved my depression or anything, but just for the time I was in there, it was able to get me out of it, which yeah. was just such a reprieve because I think a lot of I think anyone who has suffered from intense depression knows that 
it, it's most frustrating in the fact that it's everywhere, that mm -hmm. your whole world feels gray, that everything you eat tastes just a little less. It doesn't, it doesn't it taste quite as, a little less. It just tastes a little less. <laughs> yeah. And the hot showers don't feel quite as warm. And, but when mm -hmm. you go to a video game, all of a sudden, just in that world, everything is bright again. And it's mm -hmm. almost like a reminder that you can still feel these good things. It may be hard for you right now, but they're still there and you still have that capacity. And that's what it really meant for me. Yeah. Can I ask what you would like to, to see in a character with, with depression? Like, is there um, a way that you would like to see it depicted that maybe it hasn't been in the past or, or any ideas around that? I think what I would like to see is just a character who is essentially a normal person and is very open about the fact that they have depression and they seek treatment for it and they mm -hmm. don't they don't try to they don't let it define them very much where mm -hmm. it's just it's just very casual it's like oh I have a, I have a, some skin discolorations it's just yeah. another thing you have and it's something that they're treating that a lot of times when you introduce depression to a character, it's depicted as this is this is a big thing for them. That every time, every day they go home and they yeah. drink tea by a rainy window, and that's just <laughs> who they are. Yeah, I think um, uh, a similar tangent to understanding that is the way that um, marginalized groups are often depicted, not only in video in video games, but in media more broadly. Like their their oppression is the thing that defines them. So when yeah. we see stories um, about um, like like women, for example, I'll use like my own experience for this. Um, a story with a woman in like the leading role oftentimes is about how being a woman is hard for her. And that's like the defining point the story is like uh, circling around, right? Um, and which is which is silly. We should be able to have stories about about everyone, like right, like Black Indigenous people of color, um, who are just the leads in in like fantasy worlds, and and they're you know fighting um, dragons or they're knights or or we're we're in space or whatever. Um, and it has nothing to do with who they are as like like their identity. You know what I mean? They're like their own people. Like women can be their their own people, and it's not about those like characteristics the same way like mental health and i know we're talking about depression here um like specifically but please know that's obviously not the only mental health yeah. <laughs> um uh, illness that is portrayed that's just where a lot of our experience comes from so that's why we're drawing on that um but in a similar way right like the the things that make us up as a person there's not just one that is like the leading one <laughs> there are many many things and yeah, like I, you said that's so important to portray i want i 100% agree with all of that but none of this to say that is that we don't need those stories that are about why it's hard to be a woman a black person indigenous or a person of color mm -hmm. that there are those stories still have a place but we're saying those aren't the only stories those people have yes exactly i think um of course those stories are important but the problem is those are the only stories we're seeing right exactly. and those are not the only stories that exist so it's it's important to tell all of them and we have the capacity to do that we're just not. And that's another problem, too. That's more perhaps industry-wide uh, an issue here. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> so. <laughs> and before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about a few games that depict mental health really effectively and were developed in collaboration with mental health experts. I think the most famous one is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice which was developed by Ninja Theory. And their work on that project actually has transitioned into the Insight Project, which is Ninja Theory working with a variety of mental health experts to explore how video games can be used to understand and treat mental illness. 
And then there's also a lot of games that deal with mental health indirectly or tangentially to great effect. Like a game you played recently was Gris, which you found was very, very thoughtfully put together. Yeah, I thought Gris was so great. Um, It dealt with mental health, I think, pretty... I guess it sort of depends um, who you are, but I think that was the point of the game, was really to provide a healing experience for whatever issue you were kind of struggling with, whether that was um, like mental health specific or or a challenge that you're just happening to like overcome in your life. I right. think there were multiple multiple ways to to view that game. And I think that's part of what what made it so so special. I know you've also got Dark Souls on here as as dealing with mental health. I think that's probably a little bit more abstract or, well, or I would indirect. Say, I would say Gris is also fairly <laughs> abstract, but one of the more common interpretations of Dark Souls is you only ever lose when you give up. Mm-hmm. That you'll keep respawning as long as you're willing to keep on trying, but it's, it's only when the game is over is when you give up, which I think is a very apt metaphor to real life as well. Uh, Wolfenstein 2. This is oh. a game which actually depicts mental health in a really, really good way, which is not what you think if you've only ever seen the game's cover. Yeah. <laughs> and because Wolfenstein is obviously your typical shooting Nazis gore fest, and... Wolfenstein 2 actually has this backstory for the main character about his childhood relationship with his father, which was quite abusive, and how that has informed his present-day toxic masculinity, Mm. which is almost like kind of like a brilliant exploration of how of how the protagonists typically seen in the first person junior are these ho-hum macho guys and where these guys actually come from. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, I know a more recent game that's just come out actually is called Spiritfarer, and it's kind of delving into mental health in a new way where it explores our relationships to death and and experiencing loss and, and grief and really, I think, um, healthy ways to, to explore those relationships and sort of experience those those emotions. And I think it's a it's a wonderful game. Um, if you are maybe going through something right now or or have experienced loss, this might be a very healing sort of experience for you. I think it handles it beautifully. It's not traumatizing or or harsh um, in, in any way, shape or form. Um, so something to check out. Um, if you're if you're interested, it, it's very new. It just came out in the last, I think, um, month month or so, um, as of the the time of filming this episode. And it's on Steam and Nintendo Switch, I believe. So, so would you say it's a, a game about sadness, but also a sad game? Yeah, I think for sure. I think for me, I've actually been playing that as well, um, and it's been a nice a nice break from everything. It's just so pleasant, you know, everyone, like one of the main mechanics in the game is hugging animals. So like, I mean, come on, like. <laughs> one of like, the best mechanics in your life. Very healing, exactly, right? Um, so it's a, it's a lovely story and I think it can be heavy at times. Um, you are saying goodbye to characters, right? Like as they as they cross into their their next adventure, whatever that may be. But I think the way it's handled is absolutely wonderful um, and could be, perhaps be very good for mental health in its in its depiction of it so excellent well on that note we will see everyone next time where we will follow up on part two of this series on mental health yeah i'm i'm uh gonna take a wild guess here and say on the game developer side mental health looks very different for developers than it does for the players so (laughs) we shall see Thank you for listening to this episode of Panic Mode. You can reach us on social media at panicmode.net, all spelled out, or on our website, panicmode.net. 
We would love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback you have about today's episode. And we'll be back next time for part two, mental health and game development. We'll see you then.